Shall we pray? Pray together as we start. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that the unfolding of your word gives understanding, gives light, and we pray that you would speak to each one of us now by your spirit through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Julio. Great to see you all. Now, I guess you'll all be familiar with overinflated job ads or overinflated job titles. So I guess we're used to people trying to recruit us by promising unlimited earning potential or promising us that we, could, we can be the, the media distribution executive by which they mean we'll be the, the paper boy. <laughs> or they say we can be the underwater ceramic engineer. Do you know what that one is? Hey, Ian, come and join us. The dishwasher, that's <laughs> But what about job adverts that are brutally honest? So you've probably heard of these two. So do you remember the polar explorer, Ernest Shackleton, who allegedly put this advert in the, in the Times for his trip to Antarctica? Men wanted for hazardous journeys, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honour and recognition in case of success. Or there was this one from the Pony Express, the guys who delivered mail across America before the railways. Wanted young, skinny, wiry fellows, not over 18, must be expert riders willing to risk death daily. Orphans preferred. <laughs> now, apparently these are probably not actually true. Um, true adverts, but the jobs were true, and these are probably really good. They are actually honest representations of what those jobs actually did involve if you had to go on that expedition or you were one of those riders. But let's listen to Jesus Christ describe the job spec for being a Christian. So some of us here might be already Christians, some of us may be considering being a follower of Jesus. What, what's the job spec for a Christian? So if you turn to page 25 in the Matthew's Gospel, and chapter 10, verse 16. And here we have Jesus describing to his 12 apostles their job spec for the mission that he's given them. From verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So we're going to make a few observations on this passage, Jesus' instructions to his twelve apostles. And then we'll consider what that teaches us 
if we're following Jesus or considering following Jesus, particularly as we work in, in this area, Covent Garden. Now, last week we heard about how Jesus commissioned and sent out his 12 apostles on a, what you might call a short-term mission trip in Israel. Just scan, scan your eye back at that on, at verse 5, at the bottom of page 24. These 12, these 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now you might expect to hear next, how did they get on? What kind of encounters did they have? How they got on trying to heal people and casting out demons and what, what, what did it actually look like? But instead, what Matthew records for us in, in chapter 10 is a, a compilation of Jesus' instructions about mission. So it basically splits into three parts. You've got the specific instructions for that short-term mission that we looked at last week with William. Then today's passage, which is, again, specific instructions to the apostles that seems to relate to what they were doing after Jesus died and rose again and after Pentecost when the Spirit came and they started taking the message outside of Israel to Gentiles and to the, the Roman Empire. And then the third block, which we'll look, on, look at in the next couple of weeks, is about more sort of widespread mission instructions that apply to everybody going forward. Well, it all applies to everyone, but it's, it's in those kind of three specific blocks. So we're going to look just for the first part, think what are the specific instructions to these 12 apostles, and then think, okay, how does that apply to us? So first big thing Jesus is saying is the reality of persecution and Rejection. You need to know it's going to come. So Jesus doesn't say to his apostles, you're going to face the icy colds of Antarctica or be shouted at by impatient clients. It's even more extreme than that. Verse 16, he says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. It's a brutal picture, isn't it? Sheep are obviously vulnerable. Here they are surrounded by wolves. You don't need to be David Attenborough or a farmer to know what's going to happen. It's going to be bloody, it's going to be painful, it's going to be carnage. They're going to be torn to shreds. And Jesus gives his disciples this unsettling image that's going to stay with them because he wants them to be crystal clear on what to expect. And then in verse 17, he unpacks what's that, what, what will that actually mean in practice. So verse 17, beware of men for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues and you will be dragged hey Emily, dragged before governors and kings for my sake. So in particular, the wolves seem to be the religious authorities working hand in hand with the secular authorities. And if you reread Acts, we see that's exactly what, what happens. That is what happened to them. But perhaps even more painful is what Jesus describes in verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. There can't be many things, can there, that are worse than being hated, being disowned, being persecuted by your own children or your own parents. Imagine how the disciples felt at hearing hearing this. A few months before, they were fishermen, they were tax collectors, they were running some sort of small business, getting on with life. And then suddenly Jesus turns up. They start following him. He gives them this incredible job. 
they are going to be the ones who will be sharing the best news that there could possibly be to people around them. Jesus has shared with them the answer to sickness, the answer to abuse, the answer to war, the answer to climate change, the answer to poverty, the answer to suffering, the answer even to death itself, the answer to God's judgment. And he's given them this role of sharing that incredible news with people around them. Here is forgiveness with God. Here is how you can have peace with God, how you can have and enjoy eternal life. And not even just the message, they're going to be backing that up. They're going to be able to do miracles that will prove that. They'll be healing people, liberating people from possession, raising the dead. So what's going to happen? Surely they're going to be welcomed as heroes. People will be lining the streets. They'll be rolling out the red carpet for them. They'll be getting the Nobel Peace Prize, knighthoods. They'll get a sponsorship from Nike. They'll probably even get a Blue Peter badge. It's going to be that good. But Jesus says, no, you're going to be despised. You're going to be shunned. You'll be treated like abusers, like pedophiles, like terrorists. You're going to be thrown into prison. You're going to be martyred. You're going to, your closest relationships are going to be falling apart. Why is Jesus doing this? Well, have a look back at chapter 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, Jesus had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus here, he's essentially making clear that he is the good shepherd who cares for his sheep. So what's going on? You wouldn't send out, if you had a four-year-old, you wouldn't send them out into hang out in the park with the illegally bred American XL bully dogs, would you? But here is Jesus sending out his, his apostles like lambs to the slaughter. And we know many of them did, were martyred for what they said. Why is he doing this? Well, point two, let's quickly consider the purpose and the reason. Now, Shackleton's mission, that was dangerous. But it was in order to win, win fame and recognition. The Pony Express riders, they had to risk their lives to get the mail out. But what about these apostles? Why do they have to face such extreme opposition? Have a look again at verse 17. Jesus says, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. To see the purpose, it can't be any other way. It's part of God's plan that the, the, the spread of the kingdom will happen in the midst of hatred and rejection. Jesus was opposed and so were his apostles. And again, as we look at Acts, we see Peter and John, they were hauled in front of the authorities, but they spoke. They had the opportunity to share who Jesus was and what he was all about. You see at the end of Acts, the apostle Paul, time and again, he's on trial before Jewish leaders, before the Roman leaders explaining what the Christian message is. And the Christian message spread like wildfire across the Roman Empire. So the opposition is not aimless, but it has a glorious purpose. And then this also clarifies why exactly were the apostles so hated. Now, it's presumably not for the miracles that they were doing. People must have loved that. But because of their message. You see a bit more of that if you have a look again at verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. 
for my namesake. So they are confessing, telling people what Jesus' name is all about. Jesus' name that captures who he is and what he is. Do you remember the Christmas reading right from the beginning of Matthew where the angel told Joseph, you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You will give him the name Emmanuel because he is God with us. So what provokes such hostility? It's this message when the apostles are telling people this is who Jesus is. He's come to forgive sins. That means you're a sinner. But he is, he is God. You've got to treat him, treat him as God. He can save you, but this is what you've got to believe. Actually, he can say what really seemed to upset people was when Jesus said absolutely anybody could be forgiven. The religious leaders didn't like that. They wanted to be able to look down on people. And when Jesus said, yeah, I've come for tax collectors and sinners, that's we've already seen in Matthew. That's when they were getting really upset. So the message is a Marmite message, isn't it? Some people absolutely love it, are thrilled. Other people hate it. They don't just, it's not neutral. They absolutely can't stand, can't stand it and they are offended and they oppose it. Okay, so how, but how are the apostles going to cope? How are they going to get on with this mission? I was chatting with a young lawyer on Tuesday and he was describing how his company gives him free breakfast, free lunch, free dinner. There's probably on site like a dentist and a barber, everything he needs just so he can keep on doing more and more work. But how is it that Jesus encourages his apostles to keep going in this mission in the midst of hostility? So let's look at what Jesus says he will provide for them and how they need to respond if they're going to keep going. So look back at verse 16 and hear Jesus' advice. Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So I don't know what your job spec says where it, where it says come and work at KPF and you, will be, you need to be as wise as a snake or you need to be a, a dove. Probably doesn't say that, but this is what Jesus thinks is key to enduring. So what does he mean by wise as serpents? I think he's, he's saying you need to be really alert. So it's less about being crafty. It's about us. snakes are known for being good at escaping danger. If there's a forest fire, they're very good at being alert and they slither away into safety. Earlier in Matthew, John the Baptist used a similar image. He said to people, you brood of vipers, who told you to try and escape the, the judgment of God that's coming? So a snake is alert, knows what's happening. They're not complacent. They're ready to, ready to be on their guard. So Jesus is saying, don't be naive. And you see that in what he, he says immediately after. So verse 17, he says, beware of men. And I guess the disciples would have been tempted to think, oh great, we've got this epic message. The religious leaders, they're going to love this. They know all about the promises of God in the Old Testament. They're going to lap this up. They're reasonable, upstanding people. But Jesus is saying, no, no, don't be complacent. Be alert. You're going to be hated. Don't be naive. Be alert like a snake. But alongside that, Jesus says, yeah, be alert, but also make sure you're as innocent as doves. Now, what does Jesus mean? Do, do doves have a reputation for not stealing other people's chips or not exaggerating on their expense claims? What does he mean by innocent as a dove? Now, literally, the word that's translated there, innocent, is unmixed. Be unmixed as a dove. So, Philip, what, what colours would you say a pigeon has? 
colours. Uh, You're colour blind, are you? They're grey. Grey. Everyone, grey. I'd say they're a little bit blue, aren't they, as well? Oh, a bit of blue in a pigeon. Different shades of grey. This illustration's not really working, but... <laughs> okay. But a dove, what colour is a dove? White. It's pretty unambiguously white, isn't it? You don't think... There's no doubt about that. Whereas a pigeon, you can say, yeah, there's a bit of different shades of grey. That's what I'd say, anyway. But, anyway... <laughs> Now, the other thing about doves, in the Old Testament, there's, they're sometimes used as an illustration of being too, e- too easily duped. So doves are quite easy to catch. They're quite trusting. And so I think if you have those two things in your mind, it helps us get at what Jesus is saying. So, yes, be like a snake, be on your guard, but also be straightforward, be unambiguously clear what you're about, and don't be so on your guard that you don't just get on with what you're meant to do so the best way to understand it is not to load ideas into the image but think what then Jesus goes on to say so if you have a look at verse 19 I think this is what he means when they deliver you over do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say for what you are to say will be given you in that hour for it is not you who speak but the spirit of your father speaking through you so you can imagine the apostles, they think they're facing danger. They're thinking, we're going to get into a lot of trouble for what we're saying. They'd be tempted to start filtering the message and maybe adapting it so they don't get into too much trouble, to be anxious about exactly what they're going to say. Maybe we'll say this to this person, say this to, to these authorities. But Jesus is saying, no, no, just be innocent like a dove. Just be plain about it, be really unambiguous. The Father will give you the words to say. So don't you try and work out what the message is. The Spirit will give you the message. All you've got to do is just relay it and trust him with the consequences. And that's what happened, isn't it, after Pentecost. The Spirit came and gave the apostles the words to say. They didn't make up the message. The Spirit enabled them. And so Jesus is saying, don't be naive, be like the snake, but also just be plain, speak present the message, just pass it on and trust the consequences to the Lord. And then finally, Jesus also says, you've got to focus forward. So, and you've got to remember what's at stake. Have a look at verse 22. Jesus says, you will, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So endure. Don't stop speaking because this message is the means of salvation. The one who endures to the end will be saved. The end is coming. Have that in mind. You need to keep trusting in this message and keep speaking because I am the son of man. The son of man will come. This opposition will be just for a period. I'm the son of man. I fulfilled that promise back in the Old Testament in Daniel 7. I've given all, I've been given all authority by God. I'll be the one who judges. I'll be the one who has salvation. So keep your eye on that. That will enable you to, to keep going. So here is the, the job spec. Or maybe job spec's not quite the right word, but the terms of being an apostle. Don't be naive. Don't stop. Yes, the message will be hated. You will be shunned and oppressed, but it is worth it. <laughs>